Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Support independent Mi'kmaq media. Become a Mi'kmaq Matters patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. So Memorial University has organized a conference. It's about university's role in cultural, social, and economic development in out-of-the-way places like Newfoundland. There's going to be an acknowledgement of the island of Newfoundland as the ancestral homeland of the Mi'kmaq and Beothic peoples. But that's it. There is zero other Indigenous content in the conference scheduled for November 14 and 15 in St. John's. We'll talk to the organizer later in the program. But first, Chief Mazel Joe and aquaculture. Meobigag First Nation is on the aquaculture coast. I spoke with the chief about the risks associated with sea-based aquaculture, the recent die-off of 2.6 million fish, and the cleanup, which is being monitored by MAMCA, a partnership of Meobigag and Halibut. But I started by asking him about comments by Fisheries Minister Jerry Byrne, who posted on Facebook about his recent meeting with the chief, and suggested that opponents of sea-based aquaculture are engaged in colonial thinking and disrespecting Indigenous people. What did the chief think about those comments by the minister? So let me ask you first, chief, about that posting from uh, Jerry Byrne on Facebook. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about it? Well, I'm not sure where the colonial part of it came from, but uh, I, I maybe it was from a colonial attitude in terms of dealing with Aboriginal people, what he was referring to, um, you know, under um, uh, truth and reconciliation. Uh, there must be consultation with Aboriginal people, no matter what's happening within government and, and companies that's going to do business in Newfoundland, whether it be mining or any kind of construction or fish farming. Yes. But what he seems to be saying in this post is that uh, if you're expressing uh, opposition to sea-based aquaculture, then you're automatically uh, colonial, is, is what, what one might conclude from that post. Yeah, well, I guess everybody's going to take from that post what they wish to take from it. Hmm. And that's that's always a normal thing. When you post something on Facebook, uh, you're going to get uh, the people that agree with you and people that don't. Yes. Are you concerned that, uh, that the minister is uh, using you uh, as part of the uh, the politics of aquaculture, which is a hot topic uh, in Newfoundland these days? Well, in to some regard, uh, he's uh, basically, he, he was here in the community. We talked about global warming. We talked about uh, low water temperature. Uh, we, we talked about, uh, you know, what we've ob- observing for years about uh, the lack of ice in the bay, how fast it clears out in the, in the spring, uh, the, the high winds that we seem to get now. There, there are many changes that's taking place, and, and there is, in fact, a global warming taking place, and we'll see, we're seeing the effects of, of that on this coast. And, so, you know, those are things that we talked about. Yes. Has the, has the minister been down to see you uh, in person, or have you talked on the phone? No, no, we, we actually had a meeting right here in the community with the minister, myself and uh, 
a group of us uh, counselors and uh, our people that's working with natural resources within the community here yeah. and with uh, our uh, technical people, our marine biologists was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, and I think he posted uh, a picture of that uh, meeting uh, on on Facebook. So uh, let me. So let's. Uh, and that was uh, that was that was last uh, in the past. That's weeks, I yeah. Let's uh, touch base about where where the cleanup, uh, the status of the cleanup. Um, we uh, saw media stories that the cleanup is complete. But uh, there were other stories about uh, a sort of residue of salmon fat remaining on the shoreline. So to your knowledge, what is the state of the cleanup? Is it complete well, or not? Well, right now I'm waiting for a final report uh, from the people that's there. But the plans right now is to send in our drones is to uh, get a look at the shoreline. Uh, we have a remote ROV that's down doing the cages. So we're nearing, I don't think we're totally complete yet, uh, but we're nearing the time when, when they will be done. That, that is, that is still moving ahead. So what, in your understanding, what's, what's left to be done? There's still a bit of, uh, might be a bit of the cleanup in the cages and, and uh, may, there might very well be uh, some, uh, oil from the fish uh, on the shore and I don't know for sure until they come back with, uh, what a report! I I don't have a full picture of what's there at this stage to be done. I know the work is ongoing. Hmm. So that report is the MAMCA report you'll get. Yes. Uh-huh. And that MAMCA report, do you expect it will be uh, made available publicly for everyone? It would be made available to our people. Yes. Uh, to your people in in uh, in. Well, in once, we, once we make it public. Uh, uh, that the complete it'd be done to everybody. When I say our people, I'm talking about all of Newfoundland. One of the issues that's come up uh, in the uh, in this uh, salmon die-off is when the public found out about it. We understand that it, the accident happened uh, uh, September the second, or perhaps earlier, according to some estimates. But uh, uh, by sure, for sure, by December, September second. And it was about three weeks later that the public found out. When did you find out there had been this? Um, three weeks later. So you found out when the public found out. That's right. Mm-hmm. I have an issue with that, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, not it, it's got to be uh, a transparency with with any any company, whether it be mining or programming, in terms of what what's happening within the environment. And you know, I I wouldn't say with any certainty that this is this was caused by a global warming of uh, the water temperatures. I don't know that, but I do know there are other farms in the same area, and uh, there, there haven't been any reports that I know of coming from this about uh, the global warming and water that have affected them. But on on the other on the other side of that, transparency uh, with with anyone, any company has got to be number one on the list in terms of letting people know um, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And and when companies come into Newfoundland, they're coming into a pristine environment. And you'd hope to God that the environmental laws in this province is strong enough to make sure that uh, that the pristine the area that they're in stays pristine. 
So you say that you're not uh, certain that it was the warming waters that caused the uh, the die-off. You you have some uh, experience with aquaculture in Mailbagag because you had your own business at one time. So what would be the other, if it wasn't warming water, what could be the other possible? I, I have uh, I have no idea. That would only, that could only come from, uh, I guess, the, the people that have been doing the work, uh, whether it be uh, Marine Institute or, or whatever company is doing the investigation would know that, not me. I, I only know what I've been told by listening to the media and everybody else that it was due to uh, water temperature fluctuation, but I have no, no proof of that. I could only know for sure that there is a definite changing temperature here in the community and along the coast. We're seeing species that we never saw before. Right, and but uh, your thought is that uh, if there were warming water temperatures, it would have affected other aquaculture operations, but only this one was affected. So is that right? I would, I would, I would think so. I, I don't know. I, I you know, I would think that if the warm waters was affecting one fish farm, it would affect all fish farms, mm-hmm. unless they're keeping it fairly quiet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't venture to even guess at that one. I'm just saying this. This is uh, something that probably needs to be explored. Um, regarding aquaculture generally, of course, it's a uh, there are many views about uh, sea-based aquaculture. Some people think it's um, it can be okay with appropriate regulation, and other people think that it's uh, a problem by definition because of the the risks involved of uh, uh, escaping a salmon. Uh, you know the, the the chemicals needed to treat uh, treat sea lice, etc. So. Uh, and of course, among indigenous people on the on the in BC, uh, there's they've wanted to shut down sea-based aquaculture for those reasons. Uh, but you you think that we can have a uh, a viable, uh, safe sea-based aquaculture industry in Newfoundland? Well, uh, it don't have to be a uh, sea-based. Uh Salmon farm. It could be very well be a land-based site. You certainly have some issues with with health and runoff and uh, all those types of things. But the the biggest obstacle for for us or anyone, I would think, would be a deep deep enough pockets to be able to put a, a land-based site uh, together for us or anyone. I know that the, also you know that the, the water-based sites are quite quite expensive to do as well but not as expensive as a land-based site. But that doesn't mean that that, that we, we would allow any of those companies to overlook the laws that's in place. And and the minister, with his rights, have done the things they need to do to make sure that any company coming into their province would abide by the laws, environmental laws. I mean, we're, we're the, environmental, the environment of this world is under attack by not just by uh, fish companies, by governments and, and uh, companies all over the world and, and it's very in our own backyard and we have to find ways to, to deal with that and um, you know I, I commend the minister for his tips that he's taken it needs to be done and I've always said from day one that you, if you're going to have environmental laws in place then you have to have the teeth behind them to make them work you can't not look the other way and say, well, that's okay because it's a fish farming company or a construction company or a mining company. And it's not just government problem. It, it's all of our problems. If we don't stand up for the environment uh, that we live in, then 
uh, why should the government bother? So it's all of our responsibility. And, I, you know, I, I think peace farming can be done. If it's done within, uh, if it's done right and done safely and done within the environmental laws that protects all of us from those types of things that are happening. Mm. Of course, at the end of the day, there's no guarantees even with the, the oil companies that are drilling offshore. We met with them one week, and uh, they said no, no such uh, spill could ever happen. A week later, there was a spill. Hmm. So there's no guarantees one way or the other. Even on a land-based site, there's no guarantees. Well, I think we would agree that there are fewer risks with a land-based site. I mean, I, I think most uh, observers would uh, would agree with that. And well, from from the information that I've got, uh, land-based sites are, are faced with uh, a risk, maybe not as great as on on the water, but certainly land are faced with uh, um, risk too as well. And right now, um, the new company that's coming in, I know it's going to be using cleaner fish rather than uh, uh, chemicals to kill sea lice. Mm. And whether that's, uh, you know, something that's going to happen or not, I don't know for sure, but I know they're looking at that, and uh, and that's a potential, uh, you know, jobs for, uh, for all people. There are... There are many more people employed in the conventional fishery on the Isle of Newfoundland than in aquaculture. Uh, there just, I think, there there might be less than a thousand people, as we see the numbers employed uh, in in aquaculture. And uh, there are concerns that we're putting the some of the conventional fishery, lobster, um, uh, among them, at risk with the the side effects of these. Uh, Incidents like uh, salmon die-off. So, is it is it worth the risk to the conventional fishery to have sea-based aquaculture? Well, from 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 what I've been told, uh, that uh, areas that have fish farming, uh, lobster have, have, have rebounded. So, whether that's a direct uh, connection to fish farming, I don't know. But I'm just been told that that in some areas where there are fish farming. Uh, Species like lobsters have rebounded at big time. So, I mean, there are going to be naysayers. There are going to be people out there that's going to shoot the holes in this thing, uh, no matter what we say or who says it. Uh, the bottom line, I guess, uh, we all have to be careful of what we do and, uh, and where we do it. And and uh, I don't care who knows is that if, if a company comes into this province and is not doing the things that should be done, doing it right, and making it safe for the environment and for our people, then it should be done. Hmm. Well, how about Northern Harvest after this uh, salmon die-off of 2.6 million fish, the lack of transparency, and the, the cost, uh, uh, environmental and financial, of the cleanup? Do you think Northern Harvest should be allowed to operate in, in Newfoundland? Well, that's that's a call that uh, I guess the minister in his in uh, jurisdiction of law that he have will make that that call, that's not my call to make. I, I, I could only say to the minister that if it's going to be done, do it and make sure that that whatever company is there, that they do within the, the, within the laws that's there in place to protect the environment and to protect our people. And if you don't follow the laws, then why have them? Uh, right now, you can't uh, uh, you can't uh, spill oil on the ground because uh, because the environment issues, uh, when you're when you're in the construction, you have to make sure that small brooks and streams have to be 
be uh, dammed off in a way to protect uh, any spawning fish. So the environmental laws on the land seem to be working fairly well, but it seemed to fall down within the in the land base at uh, the sea base farm sites. And uh, transparency, I think, to me, is got to be one of the key issues in terms of of those those fish farmers. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not letting people know what's happening on those sites, and the government is not being told or or strong enough in their laws. Then it's going to continue to happen. We should never allow that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chief. So when when do you think we'll uh, see the Mamka report? I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that we'll get something within the next uh, week or so, and we do have a meeting in uh, Cornerbrook on the 14th, a Mamka meeting, and I'm, I'm sure at that day we'll have a we'll have a full report then. Right, and do you think we would uh, the public would see the report before November 14th, or it'll be after? I doubt if we'll see it before November 14th, but uh, who's to say that uh, if it's all done? And we all agree that yeah, it's, it should be released. I guess that's what'll happen. But we do have to come together for a meeting anyway. Okay, Chief. Thank you very much. Well, I hope it's helpful. But at the same time, uh, who knows? Uh, and uh, I hope the, the the minister that will continue to monitor this issue and uh, keep us all abreast of what's happening and and why it's happening. And uh, it's his job. Yes. And I commend them for doing this because they haven't been done before. And that's, that's the protection that we're looking for. Chief Mazel Joe of Miobigag, First Nation. Now off to campus. You would think that in this day and age, when a university organized a conference on cultural, economic, and social development in Newfoundland, there'd be some indigenous content. Nope. Nothing but a land acknowledgement in a conference at Memorial in St. John's on November 14th and 15th. You can see the agenda on our Facebook page. How could this be? I called conference organizer Wade Locke, a professor in the economics department at MUN. Here's what he had to say. Thanks for coming on the phone. And, uh, You're welcome. Why don't, why don't you tell me first how the um, conference came to be organized? Well, Glenn, um, I'm an economist here at the university, and we've been doing a lot of work right now recently on uh, the fiscal situation of our province and what it means and what it means say for example to various things like university and um, when I started looking at the university it appeared to me that a lot of people didn't understand what the university does really does other than hand out degrees and there are disciplines there and the role of the university goes well beyond that and um, I gave a talk in Ireland last year on engagement, and part of the things we're involved with is something called CARE, the Climate Applied Research and Economics. Mm-hmm. And we have a board of advisors. One of the advisors is Chief Michael Joe, just just so you know, in terms of who's on the advisor. So what we try to do in, in CARE is we try to help people be better informed so they can make better decisions about things that are important to them. Not what decisions they should make, but what if they're interested in being educated, and we have the skills to do it, and we have the people who are willing to do it, uh, we're happy to try to make that work so that we believe that a better informed electorate is more likely to facilitate better decision making. Yes. That's the basis of it. Right. I'm getting ready to retire now. I'm, I'm in my second last year here at the university. I have less than two years left. Uh, and 
it, it dawned on me that the universe is being hit fiscally. And part of the reason maybe we hit fiscally is we have a fiscal problem. But part of the reason people may not fully understand, certainly politicians may not fully understand, what the positive benefits of the university are beyond the number of people coming out with the degree. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, it's important. And when I was in Ireland, it was clear to me, I spoke at Waterford Institute of Technology as well while I was there. So, and that's further away from Dublin. It appeared, it seemed to me that as you get away from the center of the academic universe, like Toronto or Ottawa or wherever you think the center happens to be, uh, the research doesn't, it's, it's more important and doesn't take, take on the same role it should take on. And so you have a small population, you have a small business sector, you have small sectors in general when you're farther away from the center, right? Mm. And so the university is much more important in that, in that, in that context. The same thing with the Irish, where we're at. They're far away from Dublin, and so as a result, the universities, and in this case, the Waterford Institute of Technology, may not get the support that they get, say, in Dublin, right? The same thing with Memorial, right? Yes. And it's important uh, to have that kind of skills. Even though your research interests are uh, mineral and petroleum, petroleum yes. economics, it's a very encompassing conference that has uh, cultural and social aspects, so you went beyond your own research interests in, in putting together this conference. And I guess that's why people, uh, people, I mean, in the, um, in, in, on the island of Newfoundland now, we have the largest First Nation in Canada and, yes. uh, and another uh, Mi'kmaq First Nation, Mazel Joe's uh, community, as you, as you mentioned. And yes. did it ever, did it ever come up in the planning for the conference or any discussion with the, the funders or organizers that uh, it would be good to have an indigenous perspective on, especially some of the, uh, you're dealing with, uh, with climate change and ecological aspects where indigenous knowledge was seen to be very pertinent. Sure. Uh, the planning process is me sitting in my office thinking about who I might try to get involved in a one day sort of conference. I started this off when I recognized there's some people at the university who do a lot of interesting things. And people really don't know who they are and what they do and why it's important to know about them. And I was going to have a series of little workshops, right? That's what I was mm -hmm. going to do first. And then it morphed into something a little bigger. And then I, got, I was surprised with the people who were interested, who are busy, but interested in coming. With respect to the indigenous point that you made, uh, that there is no particular um, session on indigenous issues or there are no indigenous scholars that I'm aware of with with an, with that particular background on the program either. You're right, and that's an oversight on my part. It's, it's a matter that I never thought about it. Uh, uh, you know, and having raised this issue, the reason I'm talking to you now is because I want to make sure that you understand how I got to where I'm at. I mean, I, I suppose in your in your defense, the other thing to say is that uh, the, even though we do have the largest First Nation um, in Canada on the island, plus uh, Miobigeg, though neither has been vocal about uh, issues like uh, the offshore uh, or natural resource development. So it's not like they're in the news every day, and it would have occurred to you perhaps that there will be a particular spokesperson who would opine on one of your conference items. 
look, I, 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 I recognize that, you know, had I been aware of this discussion we're having now, then we would have done something, or I would have done something, to facilitate that perspective, right? You know, I mean, I'm just trying to be straightforward with you and, and, and your listeners, um, you know, about how this how this came about. You know, what's important to appreciate as well, I think, from my perspective, is that this is just my effort right now on this here, but it's gotten a lot of traction in terms of people at the university willing to participate in this. They think it's, I think they think it's important to portray to the politicians and to the general public what it is they do. And I have no doubt that others will, like, I won't be taking this on again because I'm at my last year of my, in my role here at the university, right? Uh, but the positive reception we got tells me that this is something that can continue on in the future, right? Yes. And so, so for next year, it might be a good idea to speak to the people at Grenfell to have this thing at Grenfell. Now, we didn't, have gender issues here either. It's not that we didn't think they're important, just we didn't fit into the two days that we had. We only had two days, right? And I only had a limited amount of money my own self, right? So we, we, you know, so we're at the limit of what we can possibly do in terms of the space. But I will say, I mean, I, I think the indigenous issues would fit in more on terms of issues like, um, uh, you know your your sessions on uh, ecological uh, issues, uh, climate change, uh, cultural development, uh, and, which is not to minimize the importance of gender issues, but it would seem that indigenous issues would be fully in play. Uh, in sure, sure, without a doubt. I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be defensive, and I'm not trying to argue against their inclusion. You've asked me, to, uh, you know, how it came about. I try to explain to you. I hadn't thought about. You know, I wasn't aware, I wasn't as, as attuned with this as being an issue as I maybe should have been. Yes. Right? You know, it's, that's a straightforward answer for you. Uh, you know, but I do believe that this kind of thing will continue on in the future. And, you know, I have no doubt that John McGraw, who's doing, you talked about the future of nature, uh, uh, will have something to say about Aboriginal stuff. Mm-hmm. Or indigenous issues that are important in terms of nature. He's a very sensitive individual. He's the head, he's the former head of philosophy. I, I don't know if you know him or not, but but and he's been touting the issue about the future of nature and the importance of nature in the context of oil and gas developments as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no doubt that Kelly Vaughn, who's out in Cornerbrook out there, and you may know her, but she's an associate vice president out there. I think uh, she's doing uh, rural sustainability. These issues will come into play in that as well. And, you know, uh, I will send a note out to people just to say, look, we, I've had this discussion with uh, Glenn Wheeler, who is the host of Big Mom Matters. Um, and I hope I said that right. Yes. Um, um, that, uh, you know, this has come up. And if you have anything that you would contribute to that, Please put it in. I don't have any space to put anybody else in there, just so you know, right? I mean, it's a matter of now that at this point in time, we're, 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 this ship has sailed in the terms of the content and the people and the space, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter now of saying, okay, if you were to put somebody else in, it means that something's got to go out. And I don't feel comfortable doing that at this point in time. Professor Wade Locke of the Munn Economics Department.
And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Mailbag First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.